Welcome to The Hoop Commitment. I'm your host, Mike Nielsen. Join me every week to get inside the greatest minds in basketball nutrition, training, and leadership to elevate your game and improve the way you eat, train, and lead. Welcome to episode 30. Now we just got news today that my hometown, Washington State, has implemented a stay-at-home order. And I know there's a lot of people hurting right now, and my heart goes out to you. But the silver lining in all of this is that we're all in it together. In times like this, it's pretty obvious that we're all connected and that all our destinies are wrapped up in one another. Now for all you players without a gym or in need of some motivation, I'm posting a new five-minute ball handling routine with a professional basketball player every day. Go to hoopcommitment.com forward slash earn your X and you'll get to work out alongside a pro player doing their favorite five-minute dribbling routine. And for all the coaches and parents out there, I've created daily five-minute bodyweight workouts that can be done without any equipment. What I've found is that the hardest part of working out is just getting started. And once you get going, five minutes usually turns into 15 or 30. So go to hoopcommitment.com forward slash earn your X to download your calendar and get access to the free videos. Now today's interview is with NBA skills trainer Jordan Lolly. We talk about what it takes to become a full-time trainer, how players like Michael Jordan, Magic Johnston, and Larry Bird would fare in today's game, and how he balances strength training with skill training. My favorite part of our conversation was just seeing the big smile on his face. He obviously loves what he does, and it's cool to see nice people with big hearts be successful. Here's Jordan Lolly. Jordan, welcome to the Hoop Commitment Podcast. How you doing? Doing well, man. Thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. I'm really excited, too, because I've been following your Instagram account for a while now, and it's legit. You got 300 and something thousand followers. Yeah, man. It's crazy how social media can kind of get our exposure out there and create a real uh, real name for our brand. It's really been a fun process. Well, I love watching you train athletes and even play yourself. You know, it's, it's fun that you're still working your own game. So I'd love to have you start out by telling us your story to become an NBA skill coach and specifically the amount of hustle that it takes to get there. Yeah, of course. So I grew up in Northern California, played basketball, soccer, baseball, football, pretty much all sports. I was a four sport athlete when I was in high school. And then when I got to about my sophomore, my freshman to sophomore year, that's when it was my first year playing competitive basketball. So fairly in, in this day and age, that's a fairly late bloomer per our current standards. And uh, I got the opportunity to play in college, both in soccer and in basketball. But I chose ball route and uh, played down at UC San Diego for four years where I became the all-time scoring leader, held a couple of other records. And after that, I ended up uh, playing overseas in New Zealand and Mexico. And during that process, or during my collegiate career, I had a couple of clients that I would train just for a little side money. And it's something that I actually enjoyed was teaching, but I never thought of it as like a career choice. And skills training is a fairly new career path for people to get into. And we're just now starting to get to a point where people understand that it is an option like to, to stay in the, the world of hoops. And for me, I didn't think anything of it. So I ran my couple of clients that I had and played overseas. When I came back, you know, I'd, I'd train them. And when I got done playing in Mexico, I realized that playing basketball probably wasn't the best option for me. I hated being away from my family. It, it stripped a little bit of the love of the, of the game, you know, from me when you take a couple of aspects away and you know, end up working for a paycheck. 
And I ended up just saying, hey, you know what, I'm going to hang them up and do a nine to five. So I had a nine to five uh, right when I got done and slowly my nine to five turned to nine to three. My nine to three turned to nine to noon. And then my nine to noon turned into a two week notice just being like, peace out, I'm, go- I'm gone. So it really, you know, started to turn from from my organic passion of of teaching my clientele just started to grow and you know slowly as i said overcome and take over my nine to five schedule to the point where i could actually make it a fruitful career and something that was a profession so it started very organically it's continued to grow very organically just through my passion for for teaching my passion for you know social engagement you know from a personal connection uh, with every client that comes into the gym with us. And I'd like to think that our players learn a little bit when they come into the gym with us as well. I know there's a ton of young kids or a ton of young adults that want to be skilled trainers. And I think they look at you and probably say, oh, I could do that. But I've heard you speak quite a bit and you've shared some of the hustle stories of you traveling literally 100 miles a day to be able to pick athletes up and do whatever it takes to be able to build your business. Would you mind sharing some of those stories? Because I think those are so important to know that just like in basketball, when you look at people in the NBA, they had a story to get there. There's countless hours of putting in the work when no one's watching. Yeah, of course. Yeah. When I first started training or first started kind of shape-shifting my career path and becoming a legitimate trainer, I actually bought a Toyota Prius and I wrapped it in my company logo. So I had my name plastered on the side. I had a little QR reader, little scanner. So if I was driving on the freeway, somebody could scan it. Uh, I had a basketball, literally a basketball print on the top of my Prius. So if anybody was driving like in a a truck, like an actual man's car, like they could actually see down and see that this is like this basketball, orange basketball driving next to them. And I would drive about 100 miles a day, a little bit over, all around San Diego, getting to little pocket niches, just running sessions, private sessions. And I had this mentality where I was like, okay, you know, I'm going to make sure that I diversify where people can see me because every moment that I'm driving my vehicle, it's ad. Uh, Every time I'm parked in front of a gym, it's an ad. Like the more eyes that I can get on my car and more people I can get in front of, the better it's going to help grow my business. So I lived all over San Diego, but at the end I was living in downtown and I would drive as north as Irvine. I would literally drive Del Mar from Northern San Diego area and finish off at San Diego state. And that's one thing too, is like a lot of people try to get into the realm of skills training because they see the dollar associated with it. They see the transactions being made. But when you first start off something like the hustle is a little bit more like you get exposed a little bit if you just waltz into a gym being about the transaction. And for me, like I would finish off my days in San Diego State training a few of the guys for two hour, three hour sessions. And there was zero in, you know, exchange. Like there was very, very little money being exchanged because that was more about the transformation. So it was those hustle moments where I realized, you know, this is the reason why I'm seeing growth and seeing success is because I'm about the transformation, not about the transaction. And while I can put these hours uh, underneath my belt, I was learning a little bit of everything. I, I wasn't just trying to approach you know, the collegiate players or the high level players, like I had rudimentary, very introductory level players that were teaching me so much about myself, so much about my patients and different ways to communicate, you know, really convey a message. And, uh, 
you know, that's all part of that early hustle of me, you know, getting into this, you know, training grind. Now you fast forward to today and from the outside, it looks like you have the dream job. You know, you're teaching hoops and you're playing hoops all day, but I know that every job has its highs and lows. So what are some of those ups and downs of being a skill coach? Geez, especially starting off. Uh, one of the major lows was, you know, it takes strips away a lot of the weekends. Like our main business would be on the weekends when people had the most time to commit or parents would have the most time to commit to taking their child to take themselves to training. So finding little pockets of time that, that worked, you know, outside of school or, you know, on the weekends. And when you have a family or a significant other, who time with them is, is above and beyond important, you know, it takes a lot of that away from it. So uh, when I was first starting out, like there was a lot of, you know, I'd say tension with my then fiance and, and wife. And since then, we've been able to, been fortunate enough to have my company take off. And we've been able to kind of build a, a strong reputation with my brand and with the trainers that we have associated with us to where I can manage my schedule but for the most part having that kind of lack of control over a certain schedule when you're really trying to build your brand and build your business as a skills trainer took a, a huge hit on my uh, extracurricular my family life now looking at the positives it's given me the opportunity to travel everywhere like i thought i would only be able to travel for you know playing basketball but i've been able to travel to korea china japan europe canada mexico like literally everywhere training everywhere across the u.s and you really get to experience you know so much when you dive yourself into somebody's culture not just from a sport perspective the sport is like the mortar or the glue to your relationship but you get to really throw yourself into another person's world and i dig that stuff i absolutely love it so the fact that we've been i've been able to travel is is a big upside to my career one well, it was fun you just were in chicago for all-star weekend Tell me some of the highs, some of the highlights of that weekend. Oh, my gosh. Well, I'll give you one because this is ultimately the best. I played five on five with Gary V, and I have a huge love for the amount of just raw, honest, and really correct knowledge that Gary V drops. And we were playing five on five, and I went and I tried to dunk on him one possession, and then we went down the other side. I blocked him, and I took off to go down on the other side, get the outlet pass to try to dunk it. And he came over and blocked the living crap out of me. And it was probably one of those events that I will literally never forget. And I'm about, I'm going to post it online here in the next couple of days, but it was just such like a, wow, you know, like Gary V is really going at my neck right now, blocking my shots. Like I'm toast. So it was an awesome thing. One of the story and, a, and an event that I'm going to remember for a long time. I love hearing all those stories. And you train not only NBA players, but youth and uh, celebrities. You know, I think my thought process is you have to be a master teacher to be able to break down the skills and communicate basketball concepts to all those different, you know, subgroups. So is this something that came naturally to you? Or do you have a system that you follow? Or did you intentionally work on these communication skills? Yeah, communication has always been probably one of my stronger suits, like very extroverted, but it's not necessarily how I can communicate. It's how you can engage with somebody and be empathetic, have your, you know, understand that everybody's going through this process, wanting something different. And I have a pretty good ability to be empathetic for everybody's situation. Like if I get a kid who comes into the gym, we had literally a kid from Germany, China, Atlanta, and China come train with us today. Like literally 
every single one of them is at a different point in their life. One was 13 years old. One was in college. One was just graduated from college. One is trying to play on a rec team. One's trying to play on a competitive. So like you have to understand and be empathetic with everybody's situation and what they're trying to attain out of this process, because not all of them are going to have the intent or goals to play in the NBA. So you have to realize what makes them tick because communication isn't just how well you can speak to somebody it's how well you can feel, you know, what it is that they're trying to pick up is how well you can figure out what makes them tick and, and figure out if they need to be, you know, touched a little bit and have that physical form of connection, you know, by just literally a slap on the back or, you know, a couple high fives here and there. So that process of understanding people is more what makes me kind of fire and gets me really passionate than it is actual teaching of sport. And I'm glad you use the word teacher and not trainer because it's so important for people, especially if like a young hooper or a young person is out there, even an older person is out there wanting to become a skills trainer, become a teacher first. Teach the subject, not the sport. Teach the person in front of you and you're going to be a way better off with getting them involved and understanding what you're trying to, the message you're trying to convey versus just trying to teach a sport very monotonously and having a lack of connection. Obviously, you're a great communicator. You're going to have a connection with your clients, your athletes. What's your thought process when actually designing the skill portion of the workout? You know, Do you have a template that you use? I know that it's probably not a one-size-fits-all. So you mentioned all these different athletes coming to you. One are going to be high-level basketball players. Some are weekend warriors. Some are NBA players. What's your thought process for designing workouts? So it all depends. Like, with the NBA guys, you know, we have the necessary footage to kind of get an idea on what we need to focus on with their development, what they need to work on the next year. With regular players that come to us, like for our transformation players or our players that live here in Orange County in Southern California, we have an asset line. So we believe that we try to enforce the idea that a coach will want to have a player that isn't a liability in any regards, defense, shooting, Finishing at the rim, ball handling, IQ, strength and agility. Like if you can get all your scores or all these concepts up to an asset line where you're no longer a liability for a team, you're going to be an asset. You're going to be a sought after commodity for a program. So what we've done is we've created tangible metric drills, which are going to be drills in each one of those categories that are time-based, that give you something, give you a tangible score to see where you're at. And we've had enough clientele to come in and do these to where we get a very good baseline of the scores of which you either an asset or a liability, and then the transition of taking that into a live setting. So what we do is we put these kids through these tangible metric drills. It gives them the idea, the direction, the course of action on how to further train. And then we either go to take that course take that route um, when we put them through private or group sessions. So give me an example of what that would look like for a ball handling or shooting. What would be one of the drills that you would use to be able to gather those metrics? So we do a 10-minute shooting drill, and this is going to be 50 makes, windshield wipers, going elbow to elbow, then 10 makes, set shot in the corner, short corner, 10 makes in between free throw and top of the key, 10 makes opposite short corner, 10 makes one dribble pull up from the wing, and then three threes, one three in the corner, one three at the top, one three in the opposite corner. But for the threes, it's shoot and run. So if you miss it, you shoot, touch the opposite three-point line, and then you come back to that spot. If you make it, you shoot, 
touch the opposite three-point line and go to the next spot. So it gives a little bit of the foundation of fatigue through shooting. We get to see their mid-range and how they're able to kind of operate through fluidity of shooting, like your rhythm shots. And then we get to see how we finish off with strength, uh, knocking down three threes. And that all has to be done under 10 minutes. So at the 10-minute mark, if they haven't completed it, that'll be their score. We also do like a a four-minute three-point shooting drill where it's just four minutes of straight threes that they take, shooting and moving just a little bit. We do a stop separation shooting drill where we have five different variations of stop separation moves, like step backs, drags, uh, speed stops, et cetera, just to focus on different aspects that all are underneath that shooting umbrella. So tell me, what's a good score for the four-minute three-point shooting drill, and then what's your best score? Oh, a good score depends on line. From the NBA line, a good score is in the 30s, like mid-30s. The top score, I believe it's uh, Zach Levine has our top score with 58. CJ McCollum has 57. Mello has, Carmelo Anthony has 51, I think he got last time I was with him. So high 50s is is pretty it's pretty saucy. That's pretty, you're feeling it. And is your personal best 60? Absolutely not. <laughs> uh, give me a mid-range bucket, shooting three set shots. That's where I kind of struggle a little bit. But I think my record is like 48, 47. I love it. Well, you got that lefty jump shot. My oldest son's a lefty. And Let's get it. Oh, man, the lefties have the best-looking jumpers. Don't you agree? I 1,000% agree. If there's any lefty listening right now, Understand, you can come to me, and I will help your game. I take lefties at discounted rates. I love them. (laughs) I love it. Now, in some of the moves I see you coaching, these weren't even a thing 20 years ago. I think about the skills training I did when I was in high school. And granted, I didn't even have a skills coach. I was basically just, you know, doing whatever Michael Jordan did or whatever John Stockton did. But how effective are these new moves compared to the old school fundamental stuff that, you know, people my age grew up doing? Yeah, I mean, as of now, they're starting to become the norm. They're kind of necessary in order to play at a very high level. Um, And I think if you break it down to two different concepts or two different categories of fundamentals and athletic fundamentals, you really start to see the evolution of the sport. So we firmly, and I'm like a big triple threat guy, so everything that I do is very old school. Keep the dribble simple, no need to over dribble, understand your pivots and your balance, utilize shot fakes, be killer with your jabs, have one or two goats. Like those are all fundamental concepts. And we still, majority of our training on those concepts. But as you build a foundation, it's necessary to have your second or third story with another reinforced foundation, and that's the athletic fundamentals. So athletic fundamentals would be like your misdirection touch step backs and figure and understanding your stop separate different variations of stop separation moves and understanding lateral separation versus angled separation and regressive separation. So there's just levels and layers to these athletic concepts that are enabling the kids to kind of play at the current level. Like kids are now so athletic, so skilled, so early on in their age that we need to make sure that we keep the foundation and the norm up to speed. So what would happen if you dropped a Larry Bird, a John Stockton, you know, uh, a Magic Johnson into today's game? Would they still be an all-star? Oh, gosh. I mean, I feel like they would. I feel like those kind of players adapt and overcome to the current to the situation. I think if you just plopped them in overnight and said you have one game to show out, I think they would get exposed. A little bit, just with the, not necessarily the physicality, but just the physical beings 
that are now at the helm of this sport, like the Giannis's and the LeBron's, like they're beasts. Like we just, we can't, you know, baby foot around it. Like those guys, there's nobody that's ever been like LeBron as far as being able to handle the basketball, have an amazing, like crazy built frame, being a freak of nature. So it, it's tough to say like, hey, Larry Bird would not be successful. I think he would show signs of success. I just don't think he would be as successful uh, as he was during his time. And uh, we know that skill is king. You know, if you can't handle the ball or score, you're not going to be an effective offensive player. But there is that athletic component. And so how are you balancing out the skill training with the weight room sports performance stuff with your athletes? Yeah, so we have strength trainers on staff that in Cedric Middleton and Sports Science Lab that really keep our guys firing on all cylinders, both with the prehab stuff, the the rehab the strength conditioning, like it, there's so many components now that are necessary for athletes to fire. And this goes for young athletes all the way up to, to our NBA guys. Like young athletes now are playing more games than they ever have in the entire lifetime of the sport of basketball. So you're seeing a lot of stress fractures in kids, you know, at 13, 14 years old, high school, NBA combine now has doctors to test these certain stress fractures because AU basketball has been so hard on kids bodies like in an earlier age so it's been very important and very helpful for us to have strength trainers and rehab guys and trust and, and use on a weekly basis because it's necessary to keep these players on the court when i've seen pictures of your beautiful family your wife your kids when they're old enough to play hoops how are you going to handle that because you know as a young dad i have this vision of how i'm going to be able to you know, make basketball fun, not too serious. But the, the challenging piece is, is kind of like keeping up with the Joneses a little bit. Everybody is going and playing in these tournaments. And if you don't let your son play, you know, you're not letting him go be with his buddies. And so yeah. now there's so many opportunities to go and play. And the kids want to play, but I'm trying to be able to pull it back. You know, what are some of your thoughts on how you're going to handle that with your own kids? Yeah, I'm ultimately going to be giving my kid whatever, as you, I'm sure, would say or going to get want to give them whatever they want to do. I don't want to force them into anything. I, I'm not the type A type father who needs to be there present and you know, constantly coaching my son. Like I want to be very hands off when it comes to it. Like I'll tell him to like a Mr. Miyagi or a sensei, like I'll teach him when he's ready to be taught or if he wants to be taught, but I'm never going to interject with kind of shaping his direction. Now, if it just so happens that through osmosis and him being in my gym all the time, like makes him want to play sport, play basketball and play it a lot, then I'm going to have to respect that and wouldn't be pulling teeth. I can promise you that, but it definitely would have a little bit of kind of restrictions on the amount of time he would be able to play when it got to a competitive point. Now, obviously when they're very young, like it's, they're probably not cutting and moving and doing these things on hardwood over and over and over again. That's going to, you know, have long lasting impressions or long lasting deficits. But the moment where it becomes like a competitive environment through games and continuous AAU, then that's when we need to slow the roll a little bit and incorporate other sports. And that's something for me, like that was a huge aspect uh, of just my health and overall fitness was I played four sports. I was on the turf. I was on the grass. I was on the hardwood. I was on the baseball mound and really allowed myself to train my brain and train my body in so many different ways, focusing on different muscle groups that really helped elevate my agility and other overall strength. And 
and decision-making process when I got to the sport that I wanted to focus on. So him getting into the competitive uh, the competitive realm will also give us an opportunity, and I'm hoping that my son and daughter will want to play other sports, but it'll be give us an opportunity to kind of expand our disciplinary breadth. I've learned a lot about basketball through guitar. I don't know if it's 100% true, but you know, I knew my son was going to love guitar because if you're good at it, things are fun. You know, guitar is not something that a kid can just pick up on his own and learn. You kind of need to have someone to kind of show you. And then also someone to be your motivation a little bit and kind of hold your hand, a little bit of accountability. Because that first couple months of playing guitar, you're feeling coordinated, your fingers hurt, and most people quit. But if you can make it through the dip, once you get good at it, you just get a kid hooked. It's so fun. And I knew my kids would like basketball. And I don't know if they'd really fall in love with it, but I knew if I could show them some of those skills, some little shortcuts, you know, some balance stuff, some shooting things, that once they got good at it, they'd be hooked a little bit. And so I have a feeling with your son and daughter being in the gym, if you could give them some of those shortcuts, I have a feeling they're going to love hoops too. Yeah, I've been trying to give them a <laughs> Oh, yes, I've been, I've been trying to instill a little jab game into Parker as much as possible. <laughs> that's so true, man. Oh, that's so fun. Hey, well, I wanted to dig into some training tools or technology. I think back when I started a sports performance clinic 15, 16 years ago, and we bought this thing called Dartfish. At the time, it was like $2,500, $3,000. You had to buy the camera, and it was you know, really complicated to set it up and to be able to get motion analysis. And now you can get that same app for like $10 on your iPhone. You know, it's unbelievable. What are some of the training tools that you're using? I know you mentioned you like cones, some of the technologies that are really accessible for high school athletes that you'd recommend. Yeah, we have a Dr. Dish. Like obviously having a shooting machine is, is probably, if it's accessible and they are, they're very affordable versions of it. They just attach to the rim for like a couple hundred bucks. It feeds you the basketball. If it's accessible and available to you, that would be one of like the biggest things to just give you that free reign and the personal accountability to have the opportunity to go out and shoot around at the gym by yourself and be efficient with your training. And then we love like there's an AI home court. I got the opportunity to train Steve Nash and meet and be close with him through one of his companies. And home court is probably one of the best apps for tracking your shot progress, seeing your shots. It's a beautiful app that tracks your trajectory of your shot, how many streak like streaks for makes. It pretty much gives you this, you know, tangible, tangible metric, this data for your shot. So that probably and it's really affordable. Like, I don't even know what it is, 20, 30 bucks for the app. And it's just one of those things that you end up using a ton and it helps make amazing differences in your game. How are you implementing cones in your workouts? We use them as, as much and as little as possible, if that makes sense. So use them as much as needed when clients players struggle with uh, certain locations on the floor struggle with getting into spots like for forced accountability but we use them as little to enable them to use their imagination because it's very important like one of our, our biggest mantras is think like a kid you know for our older players for the young players we just think like yourselves like think like you're using your imagination and playing it you know cops and robbers or cowboys and indians or you know you imagine that defender right in front of you and you really can put every player on the court around where you are so that way you make the necessary drive angles and you go at the right tempo and you keep the necessary spacing between yourself and your defender. So we're big advocates 
for cones when needed. And then we also understand that forced accountability is different than personal accountability. And every player needs to understand their spacing without having a personal indicator. What about weighted um, basketballs? Are you using weighted basketballs at all? We use those too when we want to focus on like certain pickup or strength of our, our pickup. We use them for um, McCurr Maker going through his pre-draft process with us and we use them for his jab game. We use them for his lift fake game, like his step throughs, focusing on getting ball to space quicker. When you compare, you know, a weighted ball and then do the later part of the session or vice versa with an actual weight, actual official weight ball, there's going to be that element of retraining the muscle groups and really focusing on getting this ball to space. It's going to carry over and be really helpful for their development. All right, a couple more questions I wanted to finish up with. One would be is, now my son, he's 12 years old. He wants to play hoops at the next level. What advice do you have to all those young athletes that want to make a career out of basketball? Embrace the suck. Embrace the ugliness that is sucking at something, especially when you first start off. This game has so many levels and layers to it. Like There's going to be a lot that you don't know when you're going through this process, even once you do know things, like we get into the gym with all these NBA guys and we start going over concepts and sometimes they struggle with it. And uh, there's nothing wrong with that. That's part of the struggle. And understanding that your process is all about finding who you are and creating a better person through that process is going to give you the most opportunity to succeed when the lights turn on. So embrace the suck. I love it. That's great advice. And all those young adults that are out there that want to be a skills coach like you, same thing. What's your advice to them? Embrace the suck. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, it's they go hand in hand. Like You have to understand that there is going to be learning curves. Like You're going to learn how to communicate correctly. You're going to learn what not to say to a client. You're going to learn how to push, but not push too far over the line to where you're not going to be able to you know, retain that client. You have to understand the difference between a client and a customer. You know, who's the one that's paying for your session versus who is the person you're performing with? Who's your tr person you're trying to develop? You have to understand your voice. Like that's probably one of the most overarching things is if I'm very good at jabs, which I am, and I'm confident in saying that, then I'm leading with that. I'm letting people hear my voice and I'm getting really comfortable and confident in the things that I know. And then for the other items, I'm not just trying to BS, you know, and, and trying to make up things on the fly, outsource. And I'll be completely honest with my players saying, hey, this guy does a great job at coaching, a great job at shooting. You need to be seeing him. And I got you for this, that, and the other. So when I first started it off, I was very honest with giving them a foundation, but if they ever wanted, you know, certain more centralized focus on like shooting, I'd send them elsewhere. Be like, no, 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 I got somebody who focuses on that. I will focus on your ability to have an amazing foundation to the sport, strong base when you're with your triple threat. You can handle the ball, shoot the ball really well in mid range and access your shots, be really knowledgeable with situations. But when it comes down to shooting, like I just didn't know. I knew how to shoot, don't get me wrong, but I didn't know the details enough to make that the pillar that I stood my business on. So finding my voice was really, really important and crucial in building my brand. I love that collaborative approach, Will. And thank you yeah. so much for coming on the show today. And I mentioned your Instagram account briefly, but would you mind sharing where people can find out more about you? Yeah. So Instagram, TikTok, everything is JLawBball. 
And then my website is jordanlawley.com. And we do everything from having teams come out here, doing little camps. We do it all. So any training thing, just jordanlawley.com. You can check us out. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much. And I can't wait to connect in person one day. Definitely, my man. Keep letting that lefty shoot. (laughs) Game on. (laughs) All right, man. Thank you so much for your time. Now that's a wrap on episode 30. And I hope you join me next week where I get to interview NBA life optimization coach David Nurse. He gave me early access to his new book that's coming out called Pivot and Go. And it's full of inspiring stories and helpful tips to becoming the best version of you. And if you haven't already, it would mean a lot if you'd rate and subscribe to the podcast. The more people that rate and subscribe, the better chance of great people like you finding it. And don't forget to check out hoopcommitment.com forward slash earn your X to get started on your free daily workouts. And to all of you who are committed, we'll earn your X.